So as we continue our series through the book of Hebrews, under the title of The Supremacy of Christ, our author now pauses. He pauses to issue a pretty stern warning, a very concerning warning, a very timely warning, not only for the people of his day, not only for the Jewish audience, the Hebrews, to whom he is writing and the temptation that they are dealing with of falling back into Judaism. The temptation that has been around the church as well. Whether that's to fall back into paganism, whether that's to fall back into a works righteousness mode of thinking, whether it's to fall away from Christ in one way or another. The warning that is issued in this portion is indeed applicable to to us as well. And so we'll consider it this evening under these following four points. First of all, a sharp rebuke. Secondly, the elementary teachings. Thirdly, a needed warning. But then finally, a calming observation. The sharp rebuke. Well, it involves two things. One, it's their dullness of hearing. He wants to go on. He wants to go on into deeper things. Indeed, he's going to eventually. We'll we'll get there. And that's his desire as the author. That's where the Holy Spirit is leading him and guiding him. But he feels at this point the necessity to stop and to issue this warning. The warning, warning, first of all, comes in these words. You have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. Now that doesn't mean that they need to be going down to Miracle Ear and getting a hearing test. Doesn't mean they need to run over to Sam's Club and get that test. Uh, uh, Most of the time you look on the back of our newspaper if you still get it and it's plastered with full page ads for uh, those of us in uh, this baby boom generation who are growing older and our hearing is becoming a little bit more faint than it used to be, and there becomes then the necessity of those tests because, well, in a physical sense, our hearing has become dull. We just can't differentiate the words as clearly as we used to. The problem here is not a physical hearing. The problem here is a spiritual hearing. The dullness that he mentions can be described as a sluggishness, a slothfulness, a slacking off. They're not eager or quick, nor consistent to pay attention to the spiritual things of life. They're just not listening. Now, it's interesting because his expression is they have become dull, meaning they haven't always been this, meaning that at one time these people to whom he is addressing were very sharp in their hearing. They were not dull, but they were sharp. They were attuned. They were listening. They they were hanging on every word that was being preached and taught and read. 
They couldn't wait for the next time that they might hear God's word, that they might deal with a portion of it. Remember, most of these folks aren't even running around like a Bible that you and I have available to them. They have these Old Testament scrolls that they have to deal with. And from that, the the pastor would have to bring out the message of the gospel from that. And yet at one time, these people were desirous for this. They couldn't wait. They wanted to grow. They wanted to deepen. But now they have become dull, slothful. Other things perhaps have crept up. They're just not as interested as they once were. Lives have gotten busy and they don't see the necessity of it anymore. They don't see the importance of it. And yet our author is coming to them in a very stern rebuke. These are not easy words. These are not what we would say soft and gentle words. These words come with a great deal of force. You have become dull of hearing, he tells them. And what is the result of that? Their dullness of hearing has resulted in the second rebuke. They lack depth. They're a bunch of babies, spiritually speaking. Although they've been in the Word, although they've been part of the church, although they've known the gospel for a long period of time, they're still babies. They're still infants. They're still drinking milk, spiritually speaking, instead of the solid food. They're basic, not growing. They're 25-year-old babies. And I think every one of us would look at that scene and say, something's odd here. Something's odd here when this baby has beard, he's got a mustache, he's got ripping muscles, but he's only yay big and he's still in his mother's arms and he's still drinking breast milk. Something's odd here. That's what he's saying. This is really odd. This should not be. The reason for the oddity is that you are dull of hearing. And you lack depth. We're still on the first steps of the simplistic things of the faith. I want to go further with this thing of Christ as the greater high priest. But i got to stop. i got to stop because I know you can't handle what's coming. Because you're dull. You haven't learned the lessons you needed to learn along the way. You haven't taken in and absorbed the food that God has brought to you. Now I would think from our playground days, we would see and hear the concern here, right? Remember the greatest insult you could give on the playground in my day? You're a baby. You're just a baby. You big baby. 
You cry, baby. We'd be insulted. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm seven years old. I'm no baby. Right? That's what he's just said. People are big babies. Because of your dullness of hearing, you have a lack of depth. So he says, second point, the elementary teachings. So let's leave this. Let's go on. Understanding that the way he is addressing it, they would be going, yeah, I don't want to be a baby anymore. I want to grow. I want to deepen. I want some solid food. I, I want to know the deeper things of God. I want to know the deeper things of Christ. I want to know about righteousness. I want to know about a life lived pleasing to the Lord and how I can do that in every sphere and every aspect of my life. Therefore, let us leave these elementary teachings. But what's interesting is he now provides the list of elementary teachings. He now gives to them. And, and I'm not going to go in depth about each of these, but, but let's just go on this route. But before I do so, when I go down through this list, it reminds me, wow. He thinks this stuff is elementary. It reminds me of the fact that we live in a world that is pretty watered down. So I looked up just for the sake of interest, just for the sake of interest, just so we kind of have a point of, of context in our own lives. I looked up the eighth grade final exam for the students in Salina, Kansas in 1895. This is to graduate 8th grade. You weren't going on from 8th grade. You weren't done with school until you could answer these questions in 8th grade. Not high school, not college. 8th grade. Here's the grammar section. I, I, there's a whole bunch. I'll, I'll just give you three and I think you'll get the taste. Give nine rules for the use of capital letters. Want to start? Well, good you think you're going to be at this one. Nine rules for the use of capital letters. Name the parts of speech and define those that have no modifications. I'm going to confess, I'm kind of lost already. Write a composition of 150 words and show therein that you understand the practical use of the rules of grammar. Define case and illustrate each case. Here's the math section. Find the bank discount on $300 for 90 days, no grace, at 10%. What is the cost of a square farm at $15 per acre, the distance around which is 640 rods? Remember, this is eighth grade. Write a bank check, a promissory note, and a receipt. U.S. history. Give the time periods into which U.S. history is divided. 
tell what you can about the history of Kansas. Who were the following? You want to test yourself? Who were the following? Morse, Whitney, Fulton, Bell, Lincoln, Penn, and Howe. H-O-W-E. How can you do on these dates? 1607, 1620, 1800, 1849, 1865. Can you tell me what significant event in U.S. history happened on each one of those dates? They even had a test in a word I can't even pronounce. That's because it's about speech. <laughs> Orthography. What are the elementary sounds and how are they classified? What are the following and give examples of each? Trigraph, subvowels, diphthong, cognate letters, linguals. Give two uses of silent letters in spelling illustrating each. Oh, and then there's geography. When I'm done with this, you're going to say, I see why we have a problem. What is climate? And upon what does climate depend? How do you account for the extremes of climate in Kansas? Imagine in 1895 they had climate extremes in Kansas. Hmm. Name and locate the principal trade centers of the United States. Name all the republics of Europe and give capital of each. Why is the Atlantic coast colder than the Pacific in the same latitude? Eighth grade. Our writer says, let us now leave the elementary things. And I, when I approach these things of the elementary, kind of approach it the same way. Wow, that's eighth grade, and these are the elementary. What are the elementary things he lists? Well, he tells us repentance from works. Dealing then with the law, the ceremonial law, rites and rituals. The idea that you can't earn your salvation, repenting of thinking that I can earn my salvation. Faith towards God, believing, trusting relationship with God, looking to Him alone for salvation. Instructions about washings, the ceremonial rites of the Old Testament. Remember the Pharisees who come to Jesus, hey, your disciples don't wash before they eat, wash their hands before they eat. These people are still trying to figure out, well, when do I wash and when don't I wash? And even if it were moved up in a level, they don't understand the difference yet between John's baptism and Christ's baptism. I wonder how many of us could explain the difference. The laying on of hands, the calling to various tasks, and why they are differentiated from one another. The resurrection of the dead, the life after death. How many people as Christians don't you know who think grandpa's fishing right now in heaven? And they're Christians. And they think grandpa's got a body and he's got a fishing pole and he's got a boat and he's out there catching bass. Right now. They believe this. Or they think grandpa's looking down through the windows of heaven upon life down here. Our author is saying, we ought to be past this kind of stuff. It's no wonder we can't get into the deeper things of the Christian life. 
we haven't even gone past the elementary things of this life. They're still trying to deal with the second coming, the eternal judgment, and appearing before Christ in that judgment. The elementary teachings. His point is, let us leave that stuff and go on. Let's go deeper. Let's go further than that. Let's dig in to the meat of the gospel. And stop drinking the milk of the gospel. But if he had a sharp rebuke at the beginning... It was only to prepare them, thirdly, for a very needed warning. Pick it up again with me as we go back to our text, chapter 6, verse 4. This is somber. We've got to soak this in. For it is impossible. I mean, it cannot happen. Meaning there's no way around it. It is impossible. In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of God, and the powers of the age have come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they're crucifying once again the Son of God, to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. See, this idea of falling away, this apostasy, this falling away from Christ, he's talking about that what what he is dealing with here is that these Hebrew Christians are being lured back into Judaism. They're being lured away from Christ and back into a Judaism of works righteousness by the law. Now we know this is happening throughout the New Testament. Paul addresses it in Galatians and in a number of other places. Uh, Paul takes these people to task. He, He says some very hard words in regards to these teachers and what they ought to do to themselves. The point is, this is what the church is dealing with. He now, the author here, is saying to the, specifically to these Hebrew believers, these Hebrew Christians, who are kind of muddled here in this milk of the gospel and have not really moved on any deeper. He warns them, listen. If you go back, If you turn from Christ, if you go back to Judaism, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you are actually doing when you do that? You are spitting in the face of Christ on the cross once again. And it is impossible. Once you have known the truth, Once you have been taught the truth. Once you have confessed that truth. But now we're to fall away and to spit again in the face of Christ knowing what you know. 
knowing who Christ is, but you still spit in his face. To restore them again to repentance. The author is not saying they have done this. But the author is saying, if you do this, this is the result. This falling away from Christ, this leaving Christ. You need to pick it up, he's saying to them. You're, 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 you're delving into all of this Judaistic type stuff. Because you're still in the milk stage and you need to be in the spiritual food. I'm sure our brothers, other pastors can testify as well as to how many pastors over the course of the last five to ten years have somehow gotten it into their heads that Rome with its works righteousness and its rites and rituals is something better than the grace of Christ. They think they're so wise. No, they're not. They're babies. And they're spitting in the face of Christ. And you and I are to be warned by that. This is the warning that now comes to us. A needed warning. Are we still holding to Christ alone? And are we deepening that relationship to Christ? And if I were to ask the hard question, Because you see, that's not the easy question. If I were to ask the hard question is this. What evidence is there that you're deepening that relationship with Christ? What's the evidence? What's the evidence that you're still not in the spiritual milk? What's the evidence that you're just not an immature baby yet even though you've been in the church for years and years and generations and generations and you're still being lured to a works righteousness salvation what's the evidence what is the evidence that you and I brother and sister in Christ can bring before the Lord That says, no, Lord, not I, not I. Do we see a passion for the word? Do we see a desire to study and to learn, to deepen? I don't have time for that. I, I've got business to do, you know. I, my, my business is really busy right now. I don't have time for the word. I don't have time to be digging into God's word. I don't have time for the truth. Just give me some milk. 
Don't make that sermon go over 35 minutes, Pastor. Don't make it go far, farther than that. Now, I'm not saying that's a little fun. Right? There's some churches, you know, they, they don't expect their minister to go beyond 15 minutes. If they are, they're all looking at their watch going, what are you doing? How are you going to get into the depth of the meat? You haven't even got the fork and the knife in your hand and cut the piece of meat yet after 15 minutes. So what do they get? A little homily here, a little homily there, a little story here. Oh, yeah, that, that book of pastor's stories. By the time they're done with story time, well, you know, 15, 20 minutes is up. Time to move on. Now, folks, that doesn't mean that more could not be said and less could not be said in less time by certain pastors. I'll volunteer. But when the expectation is we only want milk, we don't want meat. There are questions. When we don't have time to read, to study the word of God, to delve into it. The question is, do we really want to grow? So he warns them, and it was needed. He gives them an illustration of it. He gives them the illustration of land, verses 7 and following. The land that the water falls upon and then it produces the crop. And I don't know about you, but when I read this section, my mind immediately goes to, to the parable of the sower from Jesus, right? We have all sorts of sowing of the word. And some of it falls in places where it grows, but it is soon choked out. I think that's what the author of Hebrews here is taking us to. He's warning us. He's saying if the word of God truly, truly is implanted, then it produces a crop, not of thistles, not of briars but it produces a crop of good fruit. It produces righteousness. It produces a life that demonstrates and shows that it has been transformed by grace. That it's been transformed by the word. The parable of the weeds and tares where he ends this, and its end is to be burned. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be any one of us. At the end of life's journey, and they separate the wheat from the weeds, I end up among the weeds because I fell away from Christ. Because I no longer trusted fully and completely in him. But I was trusting in Bob and what Bob could do. And I trusted my talents and abilities. And trusted my position. That's what's going to save me. Rather than Christ and Christ alone. And I was willing to be satisfied with the milk because to go into the meat was going to be hard and difficult. 
I want that to be me. I want my life to be planted in the good soil of the word. And from that, to produce a life of righteousness for the glory and for the honor of God. Don't you? Amen. Don't you? Amen. This is what we desire. But you see, here's the comforting part. Look at how the author now comes back. He starts with this very stern rebuke. He identifies for them their lack of growth and lack of uh, understanding in the whole variety of areas. He then comes with a very stern and needed and necessary warning. But notice how he ends. He ends with a very calming observation. Verse 9. Though we speak in this way, Yet in your case, and look at the beautiful word, beloved. Yet in your case, beloved. They have not fallen away. They are not these who have fallen away from Christ. They are not those who have spit in the face of Christ. They were warned about it. The author is concerned about it. He probably can give a number of evidences that he has seen where it has happened. But to these, it's just coming as a warning. Oh, thank God for warnings. Right? Because a warning means it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't taken place. It's a warning. God's warning of mercy comes to them. And yet, here is the calm. I see that you are beloved. Beloved by God. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. That glorious hope. Glorious hope of the work of the Spirit through the Word. The author sees that the Spirit is still at work in them. Why? Because God sees. God sees their life. What's going on? Verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his servants and the saints as you still do. There are still evidences. That's why it's still but a warning. Be careful. Be careful, beloved. Be careful where you tread. Be careful of your lack of passion for the word. Be careful. But I still see your love. I still see the love that you evidence for the saints, for those who are Christ. And God still sees it. And God still knows it. God still observes it. God is still aware of it. 
Oh, what a blessing, what a comfort comes to these people. After such a stern rebuke and after such a serious warning, to hear that. And that's the word to you and I tonight as well. Beloved, God sees your love. Forgive. God sees your work. Forgive. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope to the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. They're still called beloved. They have not fallen away. God sees their work. God sees their love. And they're cared for. The author cares he cares enough to warn he cares enough that he wants them to have the full assurance of faith he doesn't want them to be questioning their salvation he wants them to be a full assurance He wants them to to be patient while they wait for the inheritance of all the promises of God in Christ. Why? Because he cares. You see, my friends, that's Christ. That's Christ. Christ, by the word, cares enough to warn you and I about falling away from Him. Christ cares enough to warn us of the judgment that will follow if having known the truth, confessed the truth, been taught the truth, we were to fall away from Christ. He loves us enough to look at us and to say, grow up, grow up. He loves you and I enough to say, I want you. Not to spend each day wondering about your salvation and to question it and to worry about the second coming and to worry about the judgment. But I want you to have full assurance of all the promises of God. That are yours and mine in Christ. He pauses his discussion, does the Spirit, on the work of Christ as the supreme high priest to look at you and I and to say, listen up. This is important. You need to grasp this. You need to take this to heart. Bob, the congregation of little farms, those who are watching, who are not members. Listen up. The Spirit is saying to us, listen to what I need to teach you about Christ. And when you latch on to Christ, never let go.
And God's people say, Amen. Father, we do thank you for your word, for its challenge to us in this evening hour. We would pray, Father, that as we have heard the stern warning, the sharp rebuke, that, Lord, we might also have heard tonight the calming observations. That, Father, this too might spur within us a greater desire to love you, to serve you, to live lives of righteousness before you. That, Father, we might indeed live and move and have our being in Christ and in Him alone. And God's people say, Amen.